0: Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you heard about some of the changes in women's health recently? Well, if you've watched anything on the news, you've heard about a lot of issues that have come up, but one of the newest changes in the world of health for women has been the recent introduction of over-the-counter birth control pills. This is something that some folks say should have happened a long time ago, and others are a little more concerned about it, but You know, there's a lot of great issues in women's health that have changed that bear repeating and discussing. And today I have a wonderful guest who's been on the show before. I appreciate my colleague, Dr. Cheryl, too. She runs her OBGYN practice called Wellness OBGYN, Comprehensive, Holistic Women's Healthcare. And I want to thank you for joining me today in the studio. Thank you for having me. So there have been a lot of things going on with women's health, a lot of political things, a lot of non-political things. Let's talk about let's start with some of the basics. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember years ago when I was in medical school, women should get pap smears, they should go, the old guidelines were go every year, and then mammograms every year after 50, baseline at 40. A lot of those things have changed these days. What are the current recommendations for women who are trying to be proactive and stay healthy?
1: Yeah, a lot has changed with um, pap smear screening. Uh, so now we start pap smears at age 21, regardless of sexual history. Um, and if that one is normal, then routine screenings are every three years. Um, after age 30, we actually add on a human papillomavirus test. And that is uh, it actually is just for a risk stratification on um, how often we need to do pap smears. So we do um, an HPV test and your pap smear, and if both of those are negative, then you actually don't need screening again for five years. Now that does change if you end up having a problem, so um, you don't have a normal pap smear, or you have some irregular bleeding, or some kind of issues with your periods usually, that's something to talk to your gynecologist about, or family practitioner, or primary care, um, and uh, see how often you need to do, like, a pap smear at that point because it doesn't become routine.
0: So, you know, HPV is something that I remember when they first came out with the vaccine to prevent against HPV. And the reason that they have a vaccine is because we found out that cervical cancer, which is what pap smears are actually trying to detect, is directly related to HPV exposure. Correct. Correct. So the reason that they do HPV testing is to see when you say risk stratification if you've never been exposed then you might you, you still have an opportunity to be vaccinated you could potentially by getting vaccinated and not having any exposure pretty much almost eliminate your risk of cervical cancer for the most part if you have this perfect world which of course we don't live in but you know so there the intent is that if we have enough women get hpv vaccinated throughout the world could we eventually no longer do pap smears
1: well, you know, that's that's something that they're really trying to work out and find out if that's going to really work or not. But that's true. You know, um, we've eradicated a lot of diseases, you know, uh, polio, measles, mumps, rubella. But we recently heard about them coming back because of a lot of unvaccinated population. You know, so those diseases have slowly, uh, we've seen tricklings of them, you know. Um, so if we can uh, vaccinate um, a male and female, before they're even exposed to HPV, so before intercourse, then um, really your risk for cervical cancer goes down to zero. Um, Unfortunately, the vaccine has been out for 20, 25 years. So we have a whole generation, but the vaccination rate was really low. So we only had about 20% of females um, that even got the vaccine, even 15% of males. Um, now that they're kind of requiring it more in schools and we're trying to get um, kids around 11 to 13 years old, um, hopefully we'll see a new generation that is fully vaccinated and we can change our guidelines on pap smears. Unfortunately, we just don't have enough data yet. So um, we're trying to we do space out pap smears now, you know, because more and more people are becoming vaccinated or um, we're just we're able to follow things out now um, and see how much intervention we actually need to do.
0: Well, and really the whole idea is not to do a bunch of testing that doesn't make sense for patients, or costs a lot of money, or discovers things that aren't necessary, or don't need to be followed up on just because we keep doing things. Um, we find that that happens in medicine a lot. All those guidelines that I grew up with that said you must do it this way, we looked at it, and there's this whole concept of evidence-based
1: medicine. What really makes sense, and what does the data show us, and a lot of those things we wound up changing. Right, that's correct, and, and medicine should change. It should change for the better as more research comes comes. out. Now, is there an upper limit to HPV vaccination, meaning is there an age
0: after which it's just not offered? Do you still offer it to patients? So it's FDA approved up until age 46. Um, that came out when I was 47 Because <laughs> I was like Why am I over 26 when this vaccine comes out And then I was like 47 And like literally a week later The FDA is like you can get it up to 46 I'm like are you kidding So okay so anybody If you see your gynecologist Or you see your primary care doctor If you haven't been vaccinated There is still an opportunity If you've not had any exposure And you've had normal pap smears That you could potentially be vaccinated
1: Correct. Um, and actually, I have patients that for, for various reasons um, who are even older than 46, and they do decide to get it done. And um, and it, it is still beneficial. It can prevent against genital warts or anal warts. Um, and uh, they're willing to pay out of pocket for it. So it's just because it's not FDA approved doesn't mean that you can't, um, you know, for various reasons, pay for it on your own. Sure. Some people yeah. may find that it's it's appropriate for them, and that's a
0: discussion with their provider. And mm-hmm. Okay. So we talked a little bit about pap smears. And really, pap smears, the whole goal is to detect cervical cancer. That's that's what they're for. Now, other stuff might be found, but that's mainly what the pap smears is for. Correct. That's really the only thing that we're checking for. So STD screenings would be potentially done during a routine gynecology exam, but not necessarily involve a pap smear.
1: Correct. I mean, we're doing a lot of things when we're looking down there, you know. So part of it's a pap smear. If we're doing another swab, that can be for an STD test.
0: Now, for for women who are in the age group where they're doing their pap smears, you said, if you're 30, you do this co-testing with your pap smear and your HPV test, and it's negative, then you would do pap smears every five years if there's no other problems. Is there an upper limit to when pap smears are no longer offered to women because
1: there might not be a benefit? So we stopped doing pap smears at age 65. Um, If all your pap smears in the last 10 years were normal, um, then actually the cells become more atrophic, um, which just means that um, they're less likely to, to have cancer. Um, so we don't do routine screens anymore, but obviously if you have um, bleeding after that or some kind of abnormal discharge, or we see something like a lesion or a polyp down there, then we will do a pap smear. But I want to I wanna repeat that
0: because I had, when that guideline came out, when they said you no longer need to do routine regular pap smears over 65 if everything's been normal, I had a lot of female patients who said, I feel like my gynecologist fired me. I'm like, no, they didn't. They just don't need to do a test that isn't going to benefit you. So the reason why we stopped at 65 wasn't because because there's zero risk. You could have problems. You could have other reasons why you might want to be seen. But it just had to do with the fact that statistically, the likelihood of getting cervical cancer after that age, if everything's been okay for a decade, pretty small. Exactly. It was actually, um, it's like a 0.2%. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Cheryl Tu of Wellness OBGYN about some of the other guidelines that are out there for women to stay healthy and some of the new changes like over-the-counter birth control pills. Good idea? I think so. We'll talk some more. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Dr. Cheryl, too, in the office. She runs Wellness OBGYN, a holistic approach to women's health care of all ages. And right before the break, we were talking about pap smear guidelines and why, if you've been told by your gynecologist you don't need one over the age of 65, that's because the evidence has shown that if everything's normal, you would be okay to omit that screening test. But if you have symptoms or problems or any concerns, there may still be a need to continue the test or... Or to do other types of examination regardless of age. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the concerns that younger women may have about their health. So there's there's always concerns about STDs and reasons why they people want to be tested for that. Is there a routine recommendation to test for STDs? And if so, how often?
1: So we do a routine screening um, starting from start of sexual activity, you know, so at least once a year, and then up to age 25. um, Because um, a lot of times you can have um, like a bacteria, like a gonorrhea or chlamydia that's found on the cervix. um, And that's coming from sexual intercourse. Um, Really, if you have uh, multiple sexual partners, at once or in succession, then you have more chance to get gonorrhea chlamydia. But actually, it can just happen from two people having intercourse. You know, uh, When you're younger, you might not have the normal symptoms that um, a lot of uh, patients can have with STDs. So normal symptoms would be maybe a foul odor, um, some burning or itching sensation in the vagina, um, sometimes a copious amounts of discharge, um, or a thick, heavy discharge, uh, something that's persistent, uh, um, pelvic pain or cramping. Um, and a lot of times when you're young, you just you know really don't feel any of those symptoms, um, and you can actually be having the bacteria, and then it's easy to spread onto someone else. So we do recommend a routine screening once a year, um, and that is covered with insurance. And that also, if you don't treat it, could have implications on fertility. Exactly.
0: So, if you if you don't want to start a family at a certain time, or you don't want to get pregnant, there there are a lot of options. There are barrier methods methods of contraception. There's also hormonal methods, and one of the newest things that happened is that the FDA approved an over the counter birth control pill, which they kind of approved something similar with Plan B, which was something you could get from the pharmacist, which was hormonal treatment, uh, but. Over-the-counter birth control pills, in my in my thinking, which might be naive, I think it's good to give women the access for that. But it's it's certainly there could be some risks in people who don't use it properly. What general guidelines would you suggest for women who want to consider using birth control and purchasing it from a pharmacy? Should they have already seen a gynecologist and had a good exam? What are some of the ways that we could do it right the first time?
1: Right. I mean, you know, a lot of OBGYNs and our American College of OBGYNs um, were extremely happy that there is an over-the-counter birth control pill. Um, It's really about access to care. Um, The problem with it is that, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of unplanned pregnancies still going on in the United States. And a lot of women, um, you know, become sexually active. Um, Sometimes they Pick up condoms. Sometimes it's not always feasible to use a condom or the male partner doesn't have it. So, this is something that women can control on their own without having to worry about the male factor. (laughs) Okay. Um, The over the counter birth control pill is progesterone only. So, um, a lot of women that have side effects with birth control, it does have to do with the estrogen part of the birth control pills. Um, It is, uh, you know, it's it's generally safe. It's effective. Um, it's not without side effects. So one thing is, if you are, you know, taking the same time every single day, then at least it is, um, you know, helping to prevent against pregnancy. Um, it's not going to be as effective as a combined birth control pill, but the longer that you're on it, um, the efficacy will tend to go up. Um, and and this is um, giving women access to care like if they you know haven't gotten insurance yet um, they feel like maybe they can't go see their doctor because they're worried that their parents would find out or someone would find out Um, they feel apprehensive about going to see the doctor because they don't understand that actually we just do a counseling appointment and we don't have to do an exam especially if you're under age 21 Um, but they don't feel comfortable you know going to see a doctor and talking about that part um, whereas, you know, you can buy condoms over the counter, so why can't you take a, a birth control pill? So this um, access to care is the key feature that a lot of OBGYNs are happy about. Um, but, you know, there are, there are going to be some side effects possibly, you know, with taking the pill. Um, I always like to have patients start it with uh, the start of their menstrual period because it's going to go along with your hormones a little bit better. Um, Sometimes people are going to feel side effects of nausea or um, stomach upset. Um, And so those are things that they have to be warned about. Um, I don't want uh, patients to get discouraged and just be turned off to birth control because they tried the -the over-the-counter one and it wasn't for them. When actually, if you talk to your gynecologist, there's Fifty or more different brands of birth control out there, and we can find the right fit for you based on, um, you know, how your periods are and like what symptoms that you have before periods, PMS, mood swings, headaches, that kind of thing. We can we can definitely help with that. So I just don't want patients to get turned off by you know taking the over the counter birth control pill and then finding that that didn't work for them. Why do you think it's progestin only and it doesn't have the estrogen component? Uh, Because it's safer, you know, because um, a lot of patients, they won't know if um, they have um, a family history of a bleeding or clotting disorder, um, and then it wouldn't be safe for them to be on estrogen. That makes perfect sense.
0: That's why I'm glad you're here to answer the questions. So this is really, I, I like the way you approached it. You know, men have an option of birth control, they can purchase condoms. Women didn't really have a fail safe, and it isn't fail safe, but they didn't have the same access or opportunity. So this is something that gives them the power to take control over what their fertility is going to be at that time so but it's it's never as with all birth control pills it's not meant to be something that you start after you think you're already pregnant that is not the plan this is beforehand now do you think there's going to be some other over-the-counter options that that previously were prescription or do you think really for now it's just going to be progesterone only birth control pills
1: see how things go and then go from there yeah, I, I don't know what the goal is going to be. I think they want to have at least one viable option out there for females, and I don't, you know, I think there might be some controversy about it, but I really don't see it going away. Um, I think this is something that um, it, it's actually a very low dose of progesterone, um, and and it's a, you know, it'll give them kind of like their their introduction to to seeing how they feel on hormones. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I don't don't know if we're going to get a lot of calls about it. (laughs) We'll see. Right. I remember, you know, I mean,
0: it's not the same, but I remember when allergy pills used to be prescription only. I mean, claritin used to require a prescription and it was so safe that over time they said, you know what, we need to make these over the counter. And I think that was... I mean for a totally different condition it was accessing allergy symptom control for patients and over time more and more medications have made it to that over the counter i think of you know prilosec otc it's it's a stomach medicine that used to be prescription only flonase nasal spray so i do see that we're starting to expand access particularly for things that are generally safe or for preventative or even for some treatment aspects you know i always think to myself. Boy, if you listed the side effects of aspirin, they would never sell it over the counter. (laughs) I mean, because there's some of the side effects are scary, but it's a very helpful medication and we use it regularly all the time. So, okay. Well, shifting gears from, from trying to prevent fertility, what about women who are struggling with fertility? When should they consider seeking counsel if they're trying to get pregnant and they haven't been able to and they're, you know,
1: younger than age 35? Uh, right. You know, honestly, um, we say do it the old-fashioned way. You know, just try to have intercourse, which means that you need to not be using protection. Um, it's it's interesting how some people don't know that. <laughs> <when they're
0: laughs> well, you know, it's always good to educate, and that's part of what we're trying to do. So don't use birth control and expect to get pregnant if you're using it correctly. But if you want to get pregnant, you want to start a family – Try, and if you're young and you're otherwise healthy, should you, should you talk to your doctor if it doesn't happen in a certain amount of time? Or Because I know that those guidelines kind of change as you get older. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to worry if it doesn't happen the first time and you're 25, but you don't really have the same time element if you're 45 or if you're 40. Mm -hmm. So there are some some general ideas about that.
1: Right. So generally, if you're under age 35, um, go ahead and try for a year because um, uh, 80% of couples will get pregnant after the first year. Um, actually, another 10% are going to get pregnant after that second year. Um, and then after the second year, there are the 10, maybe the 13% of women that do fall in the category of infertility. And that's if you've been trying for over a year and then not able to conceive. And this was with regular sexual intercourse because there as well there's um patients say i've been trying but actually it hasn't really been every month right so um there is some workup that you can do, so you can speak to your gynecologist about getting some basic workup done before seeing an infertility specialist. Um, and uh, some of that workup, if you're over age 35, we can say you know start trying for six months. And if it's not working on its own, we can get some of the lab work started because it's just um, there's a lot of different factors that we have to look at. Um, and so it um, it might be easier for them to get started with that a little bit earlier because it takes months to plan. Absolutely. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak.
0: You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion for women as they get older, what are important ways to stay healthy? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Dr. Cheryl, too, in the studio. She runs Wellness OBGYN, a holistic way to help women through their healthcare journey throughout all of their years. And we were just talking a little bit about fertility and infertility and when there is a concern and what to do and how to start with your doctor. And biology plays a role. I mean, it's easier to get pregnant when you're younger. As we get older, there's a statistical biology effect that you're not going to have as many as many viable eggs as you get into your late 30s and early 40s and beyond. So there's certainly an element where where you do have to talk to your doctor and make sure that you're you're being realistic in what your expectations are and that if you need to see a specialist that can take place as well. Correct. So let's talk about mammograms, because that starts right around the same time. These days, there was a concern about, you know, should women do mammograms every year? Should they do them every other year? Should they start at age 40? Should they start at age 35? Should they start at age 50? I mean, you could find a guideline for anything you choose. (laughs) So what if, does the American College of OBGYNs recommend? Because they tend to be the governing body of all the obstetrician gynecologists that look at all the data and make the recommendations that that all of us should should take into consideration.
1: Correct. Yeah. So um, ACOG recommends starting at age 40. Um, And then you can kind of in between 40s and 50s, you can go every two years. It doesn't have to be every year as long as you get a screening breast exam with your um, physician every year. And then age 50, we do recommend every year. And the the latest that they
0: do with with the three D mammograms, those
1: are generally better than the traditional ones. Most insurances cover it these days. Correct. Yeah. So it's called a three um, D mammogram or a tomosynthesis. Synthesis. I can't say it either tomosynthesis. Yeah. I, and I certainly can't spell it. Forgot that. Three D. We yeah, call it three D. Yeah. 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 And actually, you you should talk to radiologists um, about you know whether they like it or not because some radiologists um, they. They're not used to reading it, and they don't like reading it. So the the picture does come out brighter, um, and it does help them to kind of like so. When you're taking a uh, an X-ray, um, you're smashing your breast between like you know a flat plate, and that's a two D picture. So with that tomo it allows them to get around a corner a little bit and like take a look at it a little bit more they can kind of flip it to the side and kind of see so they shine it in like different images and different angles and if it still shows up bright in that one spot then that's going to be a little bit more concerning so it really has helped to eliminate um eliminate uh, more need to go for additional imaging. So um, instead of having you come back and like getting another x-ray in a different direction, because they can kind of look around that corner, it's definitely helped eliminate that. So ultimately, you get uh, overall like a little bit less radiation. Um, Some radiologists though think that it's, um, you know, it's caused more chances of needing to do biopsies that maybe weren't necessary. But I think I think a lot of the radiologists are really getting used to it now and seeing it as a benefit. And so they're learning how to decipher between like what areas do need to be biopsied or not.
0: And what about an upper age limit for mammograms? Because I know that this is another area where, you know, part of the review that you do with your provider is, what is your life expectancy? And, you know, we don't necessarily want to tell someone who is having serious problems with their heart or with their kidneys or some other major organ that they have to go add another test onto their list of things to do if those other conditions are really serious. So is there an upper limit to mammograms?
1: Uh, some Some societies don't have an upper limit to mammograms. Uh, The American Cancer Society says about age 75. Um, ACOL kind of does go by You know, we we still go by if you think that you have 10 more years to live, your life expectancy is over 10 years, the mammogram is actually still going to be beneficial. Um, It doesn't have to be every year, though. You can do like a screening breast exam with your physician. You guys can talk about it together. Um, I kind of I still see plenty of women after age 75 um, and I always do the breast exam. And then we kind of talk about it together, you know, based on the history, based on the family history. Um, I kind of do it like every few years and I'm still I'm still ordering mammograms on patients that are 85 you know because they're probably going to live till they're 100 so <laughs> and, pretty amazing some people have great genetics yeah and then and uh, you know they've been diagnosed with breast cancer at 85 and then they're survivors and they have 10 more years to live
0: are there other things that women should do, like bone density, for example? That's another test that often is incorporated when you see your primary care doctor or your gynecologist to go over and make sure that you are addressing some of these concerns as you get older. What age do you start doing bone density screening?
1: Um, the general recommendation is at age 65 to do um, a screening for that, Um some people do actually get it younger, and then um, they would talk to their doctor about that. If they've been in um, certain situations, they have family history of fracture, um, they went through menopause a little bit earlier, um, they would qualify to be for at risk for bone, bone loss, and then they can get a, a bone density scan.
0: And certain medical conditions, thyroid hormones, people who are on certain seizure medicines, there are certain conditions that would make you more susceptible to potentially having osteoporosis. What sort of recommendations do you give women these days about calcium? Because that's kind of gone all over the map by take it all the time, don't take it. What, What are you suggesting to women about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, what do you tell them?
0: <laughs> if you're going to take it, take it regularly. If you're not going to take it or you're going to skip it, just, just skip it. But, you know, bone building exercises, you know, those are some of the things not to forget. I'm constantly telling people, practice your balance because if you don't fall, exactly, you won't fracture exactly. or hopefully not fracture. But work on that because I've noticed as I've gotten older, my balance isn't as good as it used to be.
1: Right, right, right. I definitely preach fall prevention. Um, But I I still kind of tend to go by the guidelines. So if you're age 50, you want calcium at 1,000 milligrams. Um, But I I kind of actually guide them to the... um, National Osteoporosis Foundation, which has um, their website there and they have calcium rich foods. So they do recommend that you can get calcium through your diet. Um, So if, um, you know, dairy obviously contains the most calcium, but um, they even say like a cup of broccoli equals this much calcium, you know? And then if you can kind of look at that list and say, okay, in general, you know, I'm probably taking in about 600 milligrams of calcium a day, then I say take a 400 milligram supplement. So I kind of have them take it through their diet. Excellent. If people want to hear more and find you, how can they? Uh, so you, see, you can always go to wellnessobgyn.com. Um, and it's Dr. Cheryl, too. Um, and uh, my office phone number and address is there. I'm at the Ala building. That's the best place to be because if you happen to be done with your
0: visit, you can treat yourself and go to the mall. All right. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today. That's Dr. Cheryl to com. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.